Good morning, Nielsen, FloridaDaily.net, and I'm Kemp Parr. This morning, my guest is Brad Lewis, the CEO with Direct Packaging. Brad, how you doing? Doing well, and you? I'm good. Thanks for spending time with me. I don't really want to talk to you much about what you're doing with Direct Packaging, or a lot about you. In researching Peter Spire's death, I ran across a book that I bought. It's out of print right now. The name of the book is I've Had a Millionaire's Fun, and it's about your grandfather, who went by Mose. His name was Lou or L.P. Mose Painter. And it's a really rich book. It's only 120 pages, and I really enjoyed reading it. So I wanted to talk about your grandfather. Let me just fill in the backstory on this. Your grandfather was born in 1906 in West Virginia. Uh, his father was in the sawmill business, and so that was the business he got into as well. wasn't long before he moved away from West Virginia, moved down to Canasauga, Tennessee, it's over there on Highway 411 near the Georgia-Tennessee line, and he worked his way up in the sawmill business to become a railroad engineer, and he was real handy with his hands. He eventually became a chief innovator in the tufted carpet business and came to Dalton to teach welding, uh, eventually started a welding business, and then that led to him uh, being somewhat of an inventor and helping people design things in the tufted carpet business. He got connected with Tom Carmichael, who was Peter Spire's father-in-law and also a distributor in New York City. And he started Painter Carpet Mills in Dalton, which ultimately sold in 63 to Collins and Aikman and got them in the carpet business. That sold in 63 for $6 million. That's how CNA got in the carpet business. And he went on to be consultants for Loom Weave and then Loom Tex, and then started with his two sons a carpet company in Louisa, Kentucky, which was funded by some kind of federal grant to put industry in Kentucky. And then things were going rather well there. And then the unions moved in. And that ended up tearing that business up. So is that a good synopsis uh, to get us going? Yes, that is. So what I'd like for you to do is kind of fill in this book that came out. You can find it on Amazon. It was written in 1982. He ended up dying in 85. It's got some tributes from letters in the back of the book. And people characterize him as a craftsman, smart, funny, and trusting. What are your memories, and how can you fill us in on some of those stories? First of all, my perspective will be from being his grandson and also being from the Dalton area and growing up when the industry was at its highlight. Mm -hmm. So with Mose being my grandfather, I was very familiar with all of his friends, and his friends were many of the mill owners and their families here in Dalton. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty unique with regard to Mose to just add a little bit with regard to his movement to Dalton. He did come to teach welding, and at that time, very few people knew how to weld But at that time, which was, I think, 39, uh, the war came, and he was teaching welding, and there was many things that you were unable to get back then because of the war efforts. So he was able to fix a lot of things, Mm -hmm. and he always had a, a knack for inventing or creating things that needed to happen with respect to making things either more efficient or easier or things of that nature. Just as a point of reference, I was speaking with his surviving brother that's 98 years old a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me when he was working for Moe's with his business in Dalton in 46, Moe's got tired of going to the post office to put the mail in, and he had some of his employees to pick up the mailbox and bring it to his location. And what he did was he welded that lip that we all drive by and put in the mailbox today on it and had him to take it back there and put it on the opposite side so you could do that 
from your car and not have to get out in the rain. And, of course, they ticketed him, and he did get out of it. But those mailboxes that we all see today were from one of the things that he did, just as an example. Uh-huh. So he invented the uh, the extended neck, which uh, I guess keeps rain, right. <laughs> keeps rain out of the mail and allows you to throw the mail in without getting out of your car. At that time, as I'm my understanding, there was just a lot of crude equipment that was being utilized, and that was before the, the broadloom carpet business. That was when it had transitioned into the bedspreads, and the men got involved with regard to making equipment, single-needle-type tufting machines. Mm-hmm many things that he invented, mostly, I think, because of the way his mind worked and the way he thought with regard to trying to always do something different with regard to taking care of a problem. And that would lend itself into the carpet industry and the invention, some of which are referenced in the book, which would go from, and not necessarily in any order, but uh, he was the first one to run yarn off of a beam instead of the cones. And no one had done that before. And I think it was basically because of space in the facility that he had at uh, Painter Carpets where he needed to utilize two levels. One of the things I think that he enjoyed having done was he lived next door to Bob Shaw's uh, house. And their father, Clarence, owned the dye house that dyed the bedspreads. And Mose made the first 9 by 12 rug, but there was no one to dye it. Mm-hmm. And so he, being Clarence Shaw, was a customer of his from uh, the things that he would make and repair for him in his business. Mm-hmm. So he talked him into dyeing that, but uh, he had to guarantee that he would fix the beck because they weren't used to dyeing anything of that size. Yeah. Let me add, he was, he was responsible. You, you mentioned about beaming. He's also responsible for the invention of the tenor frame. And yeah. also, the, uh, you know, they, when they finished carpet, they, they sew the different broadloom pieces together, and that's called a railroad machine. They still yeah. do that today. And he also invented a slat pattern machine, which Mohasco, back in the day, that's what Mohawk was called, was going to sue him for, and he had invented it. He actually prevailed in a lawsuit on that one. So, uh, yes, he didn't patent anything. <laughs> yeah. He was more of a person that would share with all of the industry, the uh, owners of the mills, what he was doing. And I don't know the the force behind that other than he liked to share whatever it was that he invented or came with. He didn't patent things. And that was a kind of famous type thing where I think they had a long table at the Oakwood back in the day, and uh, he would share with his competitors, and they uh, utilized a lot of those things that he did. But he, he didn't have any animosity at all with regard to that. It was more of a friendship thing. He even explained to me when he built the coder, with the tenor frame, and to put that in perspective, the way it was described to me, when they used to make the carpeting, they didn't know what width it would come out at, and they didn't know what length they would have when they were putting the backing on, because there was no way to keep it taut going through and being exposed to the heat. He did put the tenor track in, uh, and tenor frame, and that revolutionized by far the industry with respect to rolls of carpet one after another being coated and also remaining without wrinkles and so there was a lot less seconds and that was in the very early days and it was very much apparently a seller's market at that time one of the examples that was pretty funny that i heard was peter spire who passed away recently was moses salesman in new york apparently this was in the golden era where it was a seller's market and another gentleman that i think has since passed and i'm not sure ed friedman told a story of coming to Dalton. He was a buyer in New York. I don't know if it was with Stitton Howell or if it was maybe Macy's, but he had had a a product that was on back order for nine months, 
and he came to Dalton to find out the truth as to why they had that on back order. And he visited Mose, and Mose told him that he, he found it on a legal pad at his desk, and he said, uh, that's correct, you've got it on back order. And he said, well, why didn't I get it? And he said, because Peter sold that carpet to you cheaper than anyone else, and we haven't gotten to your price yet. <laughs> okay. He, he was quite a, a legend in the industry and in Dalton, and I just wanted to do this interview and make sure people could hear a little bit more about who Mose is and also recommend this book if somebody wants a little light overnight reading. It's a, it's a good book. So, Brad, I appreciate you so much spending time with us. Again, been talking to Brad Lewis. Uh, Moe's Painter's grandson and the CEO of Direct Packaging in Dalton. And you've been listening to Kempar and FloorDaily.net.